Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Hello, church. Several things. Let me just run past to you. We had a lovely wedding of two Our Safe Harbor members in Coldwater, Mississippi yesterday. And every time I see outdoor wedding, I start getting nervous. And then when I see outdoor wedding in Mississippi, I think of mosquitoes that will carry you away. But there weren't mosquitoes. The temperature was perfect. These two young people have been watching us for some time. Uh, They're up in Arkansas now, but their families are down in uh, Mississippi. And the families come running up, and several of them said, we watch you guys every every week. We're full in. And that was just so exciting. It really was to see other young couples uh, join us. And of course, it's good to have Liz and Victor with us today. We've got uh, Lita and Chris uh, Haynes here from, from um, Texas, which we have a lot of folk in Texas, and that's our, our next thing. Oh, and Dr. Hunter is back with us today. Always good to see you, brother. Always good. Um, <clears throat> if you live in Florida and Texas, and you would like to meet with other Our Safe Harbor people, or if you just like to meet me as I go through, we're starting to plan those trips now. But we can't plan them if we don't know where you are. It makes it, you know, I can go stand in the middle of a field and yell. But Texas is rather large. Uh, So I don't think that would be a very efficient use of my time. And Florida, um, I've already gotten some of you that have written in saying we'd like for you to get there. And especially those that wrote me this last week in New Smyrna Beach. Yes, we're we're coming down to meet with you. How How could we not? This, I want you to catch, uh, to give me a bit of grace this last week or two, because not only all the traveling, but last Sunday while I was doing all of this, my mother was being rushed to hospital, and she ended up having a heart attack and a shunt put into, a stent rather, put into an artery, and she's had to go back since then, and now she's back home. I'm her caregiver, and all the people at the soundstage know, know her and love her, uh, so it's not a burden. It's a blessing to be able to care for her, but it does mean that my instant answer on email reputation has suffered somewhat, so give me a little bit of grace, and I'll, I'll get to it if I can, and I, I will eventually. Now, back to the show. We closed last week with a, um, with a quotation from a second century historian, Pliny the Younger, that referenced Jesus as the Christ. Now, that's not the only time we see secular Roman sources speak of Jesus and use his title, Christ. But I need to remind you, that's stunning. Because unlike other ancient civilizations, the Romans weren't that big into keeping records. Now, what Barb just read to you is one of those Christianity bumping up against Roman stories in Scripture. And bumps up pretty hard. And as Paul, I love that. He says, you know, these things weren't done hidden. We didn't hide these things. This is in the open. And you'd expect some records. And we get them. Which is, again, fascinating. Because if the Medes and the Persians were OCD about keeping records, and they were, 
The Romans are the opposite of whatever that is. The only sources we really get for Roman history are biographers. One of them was named Suetonius, because why not? Somebody, somebody looked at a baby and goes, that looks like a Suetonius to me. Uh, he wrote 12 biographies of the emperors, and his book, Lives of the Caesars, is still widely read. In his biography of Claudius, I don't recommend. It, it's, it's accurate enough, but the life of Claudius, there, you don't really need that in your head. He mentions that the emperor deported all the Jews from Rome because of riots that were instigated at the uh, instigation of Christus. And it's obvious he's speaking of Christ and Christians. Well, in Acts 18, verse 2, that history is there in Scripture. You see, the Jews were among the very first to believe in Christ because he was a Jew. And the Jewish people had been chosen by God, and they had been led up to this by the prophets and the priests and all of this. And so, of course, they were the first to accept him. And the Jews in Rome enthusiastically accepted Jesus as Christ. But because of that, they would no longer take part in the emperor worship. And emperor worship was part of everything. It was part of sporting events, business contracts, social events. Emperor worship was what you did. And the bowing down to the gods of the empire was what you did. And if you did not, you were considered atheist and very dangerous to society. And so that's why they say this caused riots. These un, unpatriotic people that are among us. Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> if Jesus did exist, and if the record of the New Testament is historically reliable, we would expect some sort of interplay between Suetonius and Claudius and Christians. And that's what we get. But it's not the only one. Writing at the same time of Suetonius was Tacitus, and he produced a 16-volume work called Annals of Imperial Rome. You will notice a phrase that I said about Suetonius that is not mentioned here. I said about Suetonius, it is still widely read today. Tacitus, not so much, but he's quoted. And Tacitus writes about something which you've heard of. Many of you have heard that Nero fiddled while Rome burned, but you might not know the story. Nero was insane. There's no other question. No, no, no doubt about it. Uh, there were several reasons for that. I'd love to get into it, but we have a limited amount of time. After a while, it becomes Monday. So um, Nero wanted to rebuild the center of Rome in his image. But all these old buildings were in the way. So he set fire to them. There is no doubt in history that either he physically did it or he was with the people that he ordered to do it. But here's the thing about fire. Fire doesn't tend to go where you want it to go. And it went everywhere and it went, up, it went way too fast. And he was back at his palace playing, but he wasn't playing a fiddle. Uh, he was playing a lyre, a little handheld harp thing. Uh, but he did play. Now, the problem was everybody knew Nero did this. And so the Senate and the others came for him. So quickly, he shifted blames to the Christians and said the Christians did it. Well, Christians were already hated in Rome. And Tacitus says it was because of, quote, their hate for the human race. Now, if that seems shocking to you, 
I would have to ask you why. Because whenever we speak today of our beliefs, our beliefs about honor and marriage, our beliefs about sanctity of vows, are we not called haters? And are we not called many names with at the very end phobic attached? Which always gets to me because I'm not afraid of anything. You know, our family for some reason doesn't get the fear gene. And so, you know, people can be beside me on a firing range and open up with something big, and I'm the guy that doesn't blink. Now, that's not always helpful. I'm told that if you have fear that you perform better. So there's my excuse. But I'm not afraid of any of these things, but we are called haters. We are called bad people because of what we believe. This is nothing new. As Tacitus said, Christians were enemies of the human, uh, uh, were known for their hatred for the human race. By the way, the Germans used that same language. And I've had people say, you shouldn't say Germans, you should say Nazis. Please remember, the vast majority of Germans voted for the Nazis and were approving of them through these years. Yes, I know all of that's changed in the past. We all have past we would rather not remember. Every one of our nations has past and families. If you like going up in your genealogy, just be aware. You're going to find some people up that tree you wish weren't there. So fair enough. But the Nazis used that very language that the Jews were the enemy of the human race. They were a danger to the human race. The gypsies, who prefer to be called Roma, they, they were enemies of the human race. It's obvious they are criminals and look at the way they look. Yes, they had charts out so that you could measure people's nose, shapes of head, and all that other to see whether or not they were pure or not or needed to live. The Jehovah's Witnesses were enemies of the state, not because they were Jews or gypsies, but because they would not take any vows of patriotic allegiance. To this day, they don't. They don't do the Pledge of Allegiance. They don't sing the Star Spangled Banner. But they've been consistent since they got started that we are to make no oaths towards human government. Well, the Germans could not accept that. The Slavs were enemies of the human race because just look at them. I'm serious. That's the way they did it. Look at them. Their, their heads are not shaped right. Their noses are not right. They don't have enough blue eyes and their bodies are not of pleasing form. That's a quote. By the way, they had to make an addition that some people were more Germanic inside than other people were outside. And they had to really cover because somebody looked up and saw Adolf and went, oh, wait, he's not blonde, blue-eyed. We're going to need to do something here. So, uh, you know, you do what you do to do what you want to do. And that's, again, Christians have been called enemies and therefore they got to be gone. And the same has been through history. Take note of this because it becomes very important later in the series of sermons we're about to start next week. Social Darwinism and positivism were the two big themes that allowed the Nazis to do what they did. Social Darwinism means that Darwinian um, evolution, the survival of the fittest, to uh, reduce it to almost a ridiculous phrase. You also, you know, evolution was preparing a proper and pure society. This is not unknown to you if you study sociology, and especially if you're Scottish or Irish or Welsh, you know that the English were quite convinced that the sum total pinnacle of all social Darwinism and evolution was the English race, and to be more specifically, English men. I always thought, well, that's handy for you, isn't it there, Nigel? 
Um, but that's, that's one of the reasons why when the Irish were starving to death by their hundreds of thousands, just 50 miles across the, the channel, the, the Irish Sea, they would not send food because they're Irish. They're not proper people. And you, if those of you that watched Downton Abbey back in the day, and I watched it too because I like to watch English people suffer as much as anybody, but those, if you watched it, you notice the disdain they had for anybody that was not of their class. Social Darwinism. And then something called positivism, which rears its ugly head everywhere, which is if you aren't contributing to society in the way we want you to, you are a burden on society and should be removed. For example, in Britain to this very day, you don't get the medical... I hear people say, medical care is free. And I get that. Live there, guys. We know this. But that just means everybody gets the same, which means not much. And it's difficult. And if you are too young, too disabled, too old, not contributing, you don't get it. It is, it is horrific. People around the world are probably shocked to hear that my 91, she'll be 92 next month, mine, was having a heart attack last week, was immediately rushed to hospital, same day, had a shunt put in the artery, top-level medical care within hours, whereas other people have to wait months, and in some of them, they'll say, well, you're just too old for us to invest. Please understand that when you replace Jesus with anything, government, philosophy, whatever, it always results in genocide. It always does. That's why we've got to root Jesus in history and then start talking about what he has done to transform history and then talk about a world without Jesus and what that would look like. So that's where we're headed. Nero wasted no time in rounding up Christians and subjecting them to the most horrible of punishments. Some were rolled in tar, hung upside down, and set aflame while still alive as party lights for Nero's gardens. Others were wrapped in newly removed animal hides, still bloody and, and fatty, and then thrown out so that wild dogs could eat them for the entertainment of Nero's guests. That all happened in 64 AD, right when... Some of the apostles were alive, and the book of Acts was being written. They knew these things. Tacitus wrote, quote, Nero falsely, see, all back then they knew Nero was lying. Quote, Nero falsely accused those whom the populace called Christians. The author of this name, Christ, was put to death by the procreator, Pontius Pilate, while Tiberius was emperor. But the dangerous superstition, though suppressed for the moment, broke out again, not only in Judea, the origin of this evil, but even in the city of Rome, end of quote. Written in 115 AD, and you still have people that will say, you know, there's no evidence Jesus ever exists. Are you kidding me? There's only no evidence if you refuse to listen, learn, and read. The evidence is there. So imperial Rome and its government knew of Jesus, his title, his life, his claims that it attracted a large and growing population, in, in Egypt, in the Middle East, up in Asia Minor, and in Rome itself, the Roman elite were afraid of them. They wrote of them. And from a culture that didn't write a lot down, this is astounding. There's also a very important mention, and a very, very early mention, that comes from a source who is hard to love. 
a man named Josephus. He was a general of the Jewish army whenever the Jews rose against Rome in 66 AD. He was quickly surrounded by Roman troops, he and his people, and they decided that rather than surrendering, they would draw lots and kill each other until the last two, one would kill the last one and then the last one would commit suicide. Josephus and one other man were the last two left and he talked the other one out of surrendering uh, so that, or rather, out of killing him, so they surrendered. Josephus is sometimes credited with being so smart and sneaky by surrendering to the Romans and then being on their side and then teaching them that the Jews were a real ancient people, that he may have saved lives. I, it's hard for me to see Josephus as anything but a traitor. And he went over to the Romans and he taught them the tactics of the Jews and he taught them how to attack the Jews. And he sent messages back and forth to the Jews saying, it's not worth it, give up. But he also wrote a lot. Oh, by the way, he also ingratiated himself. He told the general Vespasian, he said, I had a vision that one day you'll be emperor. Well, that was a handy vision to have when you're the prisoner of Vespasian. And two years later, he was emperor. Josephus then traveled with the the Roman army as translator and negotiator. He wrote a 20-volume account of the Jews, from the origin of uh, the creation of Adam to his own day. You can read it yourself for free. Dare you. <laughs> it's, it's hard reading. There are bits of it that are fascinating, but he wrote a lot. He needed an editor. He really needed an editor. The book is called, um, the one I'm referring to, The Antiquities of the Jews. It's, it's online for free everywhere. You can download it to your Kindle or device for free. Josephus mentions Jesus that early in the first century. And he mentions twice. Well, while some attack those passages, the vast majority of scholars say they're legitimate. They're real. They weren't added later. Here's one. It's a longer quote. Quote, At this time there appeared Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one should call him a man. He was a doer of startling deeds, a teacher of people who received the truth with pleasure. And he gained a following both among many Jews and among many of Greek origin. He was the Messiah. And when Pilate, because of an accusation made by the leading men among us, condemned him to the cross, those who had loved him previously did not cease to do so. For he appeared to them on the third day living again, just as the divine prophets had spoke of these and countless other wondrous things about him. And up until this very day, the tribe of Christians named after him has not died out. Antiquities, 18, book 3, section 3. He also mentions Jesus again in Antiquities 29 and 1 is how you do it, 20.9.1. And here, his focus is not on Jesus, but on the illegal activities of Annas, the high priest. Among the misdeeds was that he unlawfully put to death a man named James, who Josephus identifies as the brother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. People, when it comes to historical verification, this is gold. You don't get better than this at all. Religious Jews today hallow the Old Testament and the Talmud. The Talmud is a collection of sayings, teachings, and findings of early Jewish rabbis. Talmud is is absolutely required because 
with the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the records and the spreading of the Jews, the diaspora, there's not a Jew today that can tell you if they're a Levite. They can't go to the temple and sacrifice. In fact, it's against the law for a Jew to pray on the Temple Mount because that's in the hands of Islam. And so they can't do that. So the Talmud comes up to teach them how to be a Jew in their new circumstances. It's completely understandable. They never mention Jesus by name, but they do attack him and his followers by referring to those Jews that left them. And they claim that a, in their writings that a Roman soldier seduced, most likely raped, a young Palestinian woman and that uh, she bore a son out of wedlock and that's who this guy is. Well, here's the thing. While the rumors are obvious slanders, that they exist at all indicates something happened that everybody knew and they figured they had to deal with it somehow. But we, we do have other sources. The Gospels, stop right there. If you're about to say, yeah, yeah, but that's just the Bible. What is the Bible? It is a collection of ancient manuscripts written by people, many of times who were there, other times who are discussing their history. It is crass prejudice to dismiss the Gospels and accept extra or outside the Bible sources. Why would you do that? For example, and we're going to pick on Richard Dawkins here because while Richard Dawkins is an excellent evolutionary biologist, perhaps the best in the world at this time, he's really lousy when it comes to history and theology and understanding how to research this. So he never questions Caesar's Gallic Wars, although that's never mentioned during the lifetime of Caesar. And in fact, the oldest copy of the book we have is over 800 years after Caesar. He never questions Homer's Iliad or Odyssey. And if you've ever read those two, you wish somebody had questioned them. He never questions um, the Venerable Bede's history of, of the church in England. He never questions any of those, even though those are never mentioned in their time. And the oldest copies we have are 800 to 1500 years from when they were written. Where with the Bible, they're mentioned at the time it happened. And we, our earliest copies are within 60 years. It's only crass prejudice to say, well, then I'll ignore this, but this. Really? In one of his books, he says, the, the events weren't even written down for 50 to 70 years after the event. All right, first of all, he doesn't know that. We just know the earliest copies are 50 to 70 years later. But papyrus wears out. That's what you do when you write on paper. And even if, they, even if that was true, why would you think then that they're inaccurate? My mom will talk to me about when she was a girl. Do I go, mom, hang on, <laughs> like 80 years ago. So it couldn't have happened. Really? You don't remember? You don't remember some things? It's, um, it's, it's kind of like those people that say Jesus went to the tomb, died, put placed in the tomb, and the reason they thought he was resurrected is they went to the wrong place. Really? Really? Three days later, you forget where you put them. Is this, is this how the human brain works? I don't think so. And none of the new atheists holds any other document to the standard they require of Scripture. That's prejudice. It is not honesty. The Gospels sound like eyewitness accounts because they give names, dates, very surprising details. 
And every time we dig something up, it pretty much backs up what we see there. It's good that archaeologists are loose on the planet. Dawkins says, confidently, the four evangelists never met Jesus. Seriously? How do you know that? How? Two of the writers explicitly say they did. And the dates work. The writing describes things as they were prior to 70 AD. Dawkins may wish to have it otherwise, but he has no evidence other than his fervent wishing to indicate that no gospel writer knew Jesus. He runs to, this is one of my favorites, <clears throat> he runs to alternative gospels. You've heard those if you subscribe to the History Channel or Discovery. They love to do that. The hidden books of the Bible, the suppressed books of the Bible. Every single one of them is online for free people. How hard is it? You can read them. We all know where they are. All of the articles, all of the scholarly stuff's out there online. Some of it's behind a paywall, so spend three bucks and read it if you want. But he attributes, he gets them all mixed up. He attributes stories in the infancy gospel of Thomas to the gospel of Thomas. And that may sound like a simple thing, but no. They were written in different centuries, different languages, by different people in different countries. You know, come on, get your quotes right. There was, a, for the longest time, the Jesus Seminar. You ever hear of that? Top scholars, very progressive scholars, going to get together to figure out, what did Jesus really say? And their, their um, modology was awful, and everybody knew it. But even they say, they find historical sayings in the Gospels that Dawkins says isn't there, and that they can't find anything historical or valid in the Gospels, those hidden Gospels that Dawkins quotes, not a one of them. There's nothing that you can validate in the infancy Gospel of, of Thomas, Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of the Acts of Peter, uh, the Gospel of Mary, there are a bunch of them. There's nothing historical there. They're all out of date, and they're all obviously written a long time after the event, but the Gospels are not. By the way, Dawkins even claims one of his most famous books that Thomas Jefferson claimed the new Gospels of Mary, Thomas, and Philip are the real ones. Now that's stunning. First of all, I don't care what Thomas Jefferson thinks of them. But second, he died before we found them. So I'm pretty sure he didn't... Would somebody do some research? Do you want to bet your eternal life on a story written in a book by a man that can't do basic research? And who is demonstrably wrong. So I want to introduce a series of questions here as a transition. <clears throat> These are really just interrogative launch pads. Did Jesus exist? By all metrics, by any measure, yes, no doubt, no question. Did a movement find, uh, was a movement founded around him? Yes, and in fact, surprisingly, immediately and growing to the point where it became a danger to the most powerful empire that the world had seen. At least in the West. We, don't, we know so little about the East. So, here's the question. What do you do with that? Now, there are questions that sound as if they come from a um, recalcitrant, difficult teenager. And they're not. They're valid teenagers. First, who existed? Who was this person? What, what is his life? What did his life mean? 
Second, so what? Why does this matter? And then the third one sounds like the same. So. Here's Abraham Lincoln once went to hear a very famous preacher preach. Now, I have no backup to know that this story is absolutely true. It is quoted in many books about Lincoln. That's the best I can tell you. Afterwards, people who are very proud of their preacher went to him and said, what did you think of the sermon? And he said, the sermon failed. And they said, why? He said, because we were never asked to do a great thing. That leads me to explain what I mean when I say so. All right, Jesus existed. There's no question. The community formed about him and believed all of the miracles and believed the stories to the point where they did not recant, even in the Colosseum, even at the cross, even starvation and banishment. Why does this matter? Because if they believe something so strongly and it made them better people, that should matter. But then so means so, Patrick, what are you going to do about this? So, Patrick, how should you change your life? So, how will this affect whether or not you drive to Mississippi to do a wedding? How will this affect how you treat your mom when she's erased her contacts in her phone for the 80th time? I made up that number. I don't know how many times. I just don't know how she's done it. It's a gift. It's a gift. But will you go over and frown and rah, 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 rah? Or how will you treat that dear, precious woman? How will you treat the people in the story you've never met before? If Jesus lives, then that changes everything. Or as Alexander Campbell once put it, if there is no God, nothing matters. But if there is a God, nothing else matters. I just finished a massive biography. I didn't write it, I read it. <clears throat> of Reinhard Heydrich known to historians as Hitler's hangman. One of the most despicable people I've ever had to read about. But I, I read. I, I, I read. So I read it. He came up with the ideas, with the philosophy, with the justification, and with the mechanisms that killed millions and millions of people. And he did it casually. He even called a bureau that was set up to wipe out Czech nationality, history, art. He called it the Bureau for the Enlightenment of the People. Sounds a lot like politicians, doesn't it? This is the uh, Safety Act, and what it does is remove safeties. Or they do. How could he casually murder so many people? And that was the appalling bet. We, all, we know the murders. They were in history. It is the mindset, when you get inside the mindset and read the private letters, and it's kind of like, oh, this is great. This is, you know, I found a solution. He did it because to him, Jesus was just a story. Darwinism, social Darwinism and philosophy, positivism, that's all that mattered. Ask those who suffered under Stalin, Hitler, Pol Pot, Mao, Ceausescu, if belief in Jesus matters. Because all of those mass murderers whose victims did not run in the hundreds of thousands, but in the tens of millions, and actually add it all together, it's in the hundreds of millions. All of them first made enemies of the church 
lowered the church, shoved the church to the side and marginalized them and marched in with human philosophy before they started the genocide. Every one of them. There are only two stories. There are only two stories. One is that once upon a time, there was nothing. Nothing. Forget whatever, no, nothing. And then it started coalescing by magic. And it, it, it got smaller and smaller, and then, there, it, it, then it exploded. Once, once there was nothing, then it exploded. Now, once it exploded, there were bits, and they flew about madly, and they're still flying about. And by the way, I have no problem with Big Bang. It's the, it's the origin of there was nothing, and it blew up. That bothers me. So it's all spinning around, spinning around, spinning around. Um, and then it's very hot. Don't touch. <laughs> so it's very hot. But on this one, watch this one spinning. It gets a little bit bluer, so it may be cooling off. There's a wiggle. There's a wiggle. There's a little wiggle down here. So we're going to pay attention to the wiggle. Moving. Okay, now it's got some arms, uh, legs, it got a tail. It's frolicking in the sea, and uh, scales fall off. Um, hops up on the ground. Okay. And then hair all over, and uh, climbs trees, eats rather you know, fruit produce, um, eventually shaves, comes down, and... Um, there you are. As Frank Peretti once put it famously, from goo to you by way of the zoo. That's the story. There's no reason. There's no purpose. You have nothing about you which is of any value. You're an accident. That's it. What are the consequences of this? Next week, we're going to start talking about that. Why do we have a mental health crisis? Why do we have mass shootings? Why do we have hatred in our streets? Why do we have division in everything we try to do? Go and talk about that. See, the other story is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made everything by the force of his will and by speaking, except for us. Humans were the only thing he made by hand. Humans were the only thing he breathed into so that every human, even your worst enemy, is made in the image of God and is to be treated accordingly. We're not haters. We just won't join the chants of the world. We just won't join their marches. We're not going to join their fears when they say, if this person's not voted in, we are lost. People, I've noticed something over the years. If you keep voting for the lesser of two evils, you keep getting evil. As Christians, we have a king. We already have a kingdom. And we are called by our king to love one another because they are handcrafted by the king, our father. The story you pick depends, determines rather not only your end point, but the path of civilization itself. So that's what we're going to talk about starting next week. Hang in there, people. It's going to be quite the ride. We're going to transition, but it's not a, an abrupt one. It's, it'll seem that way. I, I want to tell you about our brothers and now our sisters in prison. We now have 50 men receiving the notes and leading Bible studies every, every day, basically in Louisiana State Penitentiary. 
And this week, three women prisoners in the women penitentiary have now asked for the notes. And we have our Safe Harbor members, one from the soundstage, one uh, very remote, who have dedicated, promised to write to them. I probably have received now 40 emails from prisoners this week. Now, please remember, when they write an email, it costs them money. And of course, when you write them, it costs you money too. But it is, um, they've never asked me for anything. They're encouraging. They're thanking. They have changed their lives. And many of them will say, I did this. And I deserve to be here. But God has saved me and I'm going to be a light here. It's incredible. It is amazing. The very weeks sometimes that I will get three or four rather pointy Haiti emails from people that want us to go into a box, this church, to go into some sort of a box. I will get five or six from prisoners that just say, hey, who's thinking about you? Just encourage, go on, man of God, you got this. And I'm going, if prisoners are encouraging you and the free aren't, then truly Christ has turned this world upside down. So I wanted to introduce a song to you, and it was in the newsletter. I'm aware some of you don't read the newsletter. Really? <laughs> Why? We gave away the treasure of the Sierra Madre last week. Did you not see it? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I put the, the link in there. There are secular songs that have spiritual power. We've done some of those here. There was a song written by a group in Nashville called Judah and the Lion for the Nashville soccer team, the MLS team here. And I was fascinated when I heard it because it wasn't like most soccer songs. Now, of course, being British, our soccer songs usually end up with riots, so fair enough. But Liverpool, for example, has a song, You'll Never Walk Alone, and that's become their song, sung at every match by a large number of drunk people. <laughs> Judah and the Lion, however, the song there, the lyrics are very simple. Hey, brother, hey, sister, I'll never give up on you. Hey, missus, hey, mister, I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far the sun and the moon, I'll never give up on you. Come when you're lonely and I'll pull you up. Life leaves you heavy when the going gets tough. I'll be your shoulder. Together we'll run up from the bottom. Yeah, we'll rise above. And I thought, that's what we need to do for our prisoners. So, we're going to, this will be on a recording. And I'm going to pull up here, JPay, And we're going to set up a... Um, a 30-second is all we can do. And we're sending this out in particular right now to our brother Milton. And I'm not going to say any more about it. I don't want to endanger him or his case. We were expecting some good news this week, and we did not get it. It was heartbreaking. But we are not giving up. We will not give up. So let's, if you, are, if you will indulge me, let me go through this song with you. If those of you that listened or are quick to get songs, start singing it as well. I'm going to switch microphones and grab. This will get. 